Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Well, today we're going to continue on in our series, Eight Hills, and we're going to be talking about our sixth value, which is relevance. That's the value of you. If you're wondering about our values, if you go into our main lobby, you'll see uh, on the hallway that goes towards the bathrooms, all of our values are up on the wall from uh, God's word all the way to the end. Everyone's valuable. You'll see that on the wall. You can uh, check it out if you'd like. You read it there. You also go to the website and read it. But this is our sixth value, relevance, and this is what, how it goes. Irrelevance is irreverence. Therefore, we affirm the need to do new things in new ways without compromising the message of Jesus Christ. This has been a value that we've had from the very beginning, uh, the beginning of Life Church when we first started 18 years ago. In John chapter 1, uh, it's talking about the... John introduces the, the, the beginning of the gospel of John is very different than the rest of the gospels. John just jumps right into it. And he's talking about the Godhead. And he says this, in the beginning, the word already existed. The logos, Greek word for it. Logos already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. So this is an affirmation on the part of John of the Trinity, the Godhead, that, that, you know, that, that God is one in three persons, then verse 14 says this, so the word became human. And this is where we get our concept, our idea, our value of relevance is that the word became human and made his home among us. I love how the message kind of paraphrases it. It says that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. That's what he did. You see, when Jesus came to this earth, he came as a living, breathing human being. He didn't incarnate into humanity and sort of walk, like float three feet above the ground. He didn't do that. He landed in what would today is kind of the area of Palestine, Canaan area. And uh, he didn't go there speaking Mandarin, Chinese, or English, just by, by the way, just so you know, I know you read your Bible in English, and I know the red letters are also in English, but Jesus didn't say that in English. He used another language, Aramaic and Hebrew, which was a language of those people. That's what he did. The point of the incarnation is that Jesus related to us human beings. He related to us. He came and he identified with us. Like he had to do that so that we can find access to God, so that we can find a pathway towards relationship with God. And so he relates to you. Mark Batterson, who's a pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C., talks about relevance. This is what he says. says, God isn't just omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Those are three theological words that we use to describe God. Omniscient means knows everything. God is not just doesn't just know everything. He's not just omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. Like God's not limited to space and time. He's here right now in this room, and believe it or not, he's in some, you know, Chinese pastor's home in China right now at the same time. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent, means he has all power. He, nothing limits him. 
God can do and will do anything. He's capable of everything. <clears throat> He's also omnirelevant, Mark Batterson says. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows every need before we verbalize it. He speaks more than six billion dialects. No one, I love this statement, no one is more relevant than God. Now, I'm not, I didn't say church. I said God. No one is more relevant than God. So anything less than relevance, this is Mark Batterson speaking to you, anything less than relevance is irreverence. Relevance equals reverence. Cultural relevance doesn't mean dumbing down or watering down truth, which is generally the, the accusation against this idea of relevance, is that somehow or another you're just not preaching the gospel, you're not preaching truth. That's not true. Cultural relevance isn't watering, dumbing down or watering down the truth. It's about incarnating timeless truth in timely ways. It's about incarnating timeless truth in, timeless, in, time, in timely ways. When Jesus was crucified and resurrected, he entrusted this task of incarnating timeless truth in timely ways to the church. I want you, in fact, that's what the Great Commission's all about. Go and preach the gospel to every nation, every person out there. Go and basically incarnate timeless truth in timely ways to everybody out there. It's what, in many ways, for example, for me and our family, when we felt like God was calling us to go to Bangladesh. I didn't show up in Bangladesh and immediately say, well, guys, come on, learn English so I could preach to you. Part of incarnating is learning the language and learning the nuances of the language and understanding that there are certain ways in which you communicate these truths for them to grasp it, for them to understand that you have to communicate in a certain way. This is exactly what Jesus did for us and it's exactly what Jesus commissions the church to do in the world that we live in. And so, our job as a church is to be the church, to incarnate what God is like by showing him how God is, who God is, and what he looks like. God's vehicle for the salvation of humankind is the church. You are. I know this, I just dumped a heavy weight of responsibility on you, by the way. You are responsible for this world knowing about Jesus Christ. Now, you might have thought, well, Pastor Rich, you're responsible because you're the pastor. No, the church is responsible, and you are the church. And so if we lose our way, if we kind of fall into this idea that, well, you know, it's all the, it's all the leaders of those churches that are responsible for communicating timeless truth in timely ways. You know, it's the responsibility of those, you know, those educated people or whatever we lose our way and we become less than what God has destined us to be as a church, then we become irrelevant. And some of you know what that means. Some of you understand that. Some of you probably have come from a church where they just felt irrelevant. Felt like you heard a lot of very spiritual language, but you just didn't know what to do with that spiritual language. And if we become irrelevant, we become irreverent to God. And so what is a church? That's the question we should answer. We're going to try to answer today. What is the church? 
What are you supposed to look like? What are we as a church supposed to look like? Acts chapter 2 gives us a great image of what the church is meant to look like. In verse 42, it says this. They, talking about the church, devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So these four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to God's word to understanding the Bible, to understanding the word of God. They devoted themselves to fellowship. That means they were a community, a family that was doing life together. Devoted themselves to breaking of bread. This, in this context, it's talking about communion, um, like the, the, the uh, elevation of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That's what they were devoting themselves to. And to prayers. So this early church was a praying church as well. Verse 43 kind of fills in the blanks there. This is what they were devoted for, devoted to, these four things. And then verse 43 kind of fills in what that looked like. It says, everyone, not just the church people, but the whole community, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So the apostles were healing the sick. They were, you know, walked in, Peter and, and, and John walked into, uh, into the temple gate beautiful and basically picked up this guy who had been there lame for all of his life. And picked him up and he began to dance and shout and walk. And they were like blown away by that. Filled with awe and many wonder signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property. So you get one, there's a picture here that, that Luke, who write, wrote the book of Acts, is kind of telling us about what this church looked like. All the believers were together, like they were unified together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, so they worshiped together. They broke bread in their homes, like after they worshiped, they went out to each other's homes and had meals, like they did life together. And ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And this little part right here, this little phrase here, enjoying the favor of all the people. So what you get is an image of what the church is supposed to look like, and they're living it out, and then it says... As a result of all this stuff, they were enjoying the favor of all the people. Like people looked at the church and said, wow, I like what I see. I like what I see. Now, it's not something that we can commonly be said today, these days, right? Like people look at church and like, yeah, I don't want to go there, <laughs> right? That's typically what has happened today. But, but in this case... They looked at the church and they said, wow, I like what they see. And then it, as it goes even further, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Like they were responding to the church being the church, the church being relevant in their community. So this is what I want to do um, today. I want to take this description that we just read and I want to compare in contrast to, I think, some images that we often have about what church is. Like, what does church look like? What is it kind of, you know, what is it is in our culture, at least? Now, um, I have used this illustration before, so just be, I'm just going to qualify this before you sit back. Wait a minute, I heard that sermon before, because I have preached a sermon before. Well, this illustration before I've preached. And, uh, and it's our values, because it supports this value of relevance, okay? But it's important for us to understand this, because this is who we are. It's not who we're trying to become. We're trying to become this, but this is who we are. Okay, and this is where we're, communi- where we're trying to communicate. So the first image I want to, I, uh, I think, captures how many think of church as this, a movie theater. Okay? So what do you do at a movie theater? You go to a movie, watch for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, 
Well, why do you go to a movie theater? Why does anybody go to a movie theater? Just, you can answer out loud if you want. To be entertained, that's right. To be entertained. You go to the movie theater to watch a movie, to be entertained. Maybe, maybe you want to be you know, inspired a little bit while you're at the movie. Maybe it's to be distracted. You've had a tough week at work and you just want to get your mind off of work and watch a movie. Right? Now, when you watch the movie and you come out of the movie theater and you're on your way to your car, what happens next? What are you thinking about? Like, I think what happened, well, I'll answer since you're kind of shy. It's like, I don't know the, I don't know the right answer, so I'm not going to say anything. Um, you, we all become movie critics. Right? We're walking out of the movie theater and we're, like, we're thinking, that was a great movie. Man, I felt inspired by it, or I felt, oh, man, it was, yeah, it's okay movie. And so we, we become these movie critics, and we start questioning, asking ourselves, or, or commenting on things, what we saw. Did the, did the plot drag too long? You know, was there, was there uh, the, you know, the main characters, kind of B actors, I'm not even sure if I like them very much. You know, I, you know, you have those kind of thoughts, that come, that's what happens. And here's what I th- suspect. I suspect we see... In our culture, oftentimes we see the church kind of like a theater. I suspect that many of us come into this place with that same kind of mindset. We come into this place to be entertained. Maybe, maybe inspired a little bit. Maybe we'll laugh a little bit. Maybe we'll cry. And then after the service, we walk out and we, are, we, start, we become critics. Like, how was that service? Oh, it was... Worship was awesome, man, a rich discernment, you know. I guess I just want to be really clear. As a church, you are not, you are not the audience. I realize, I, I had this realization here this morning as I was walking into this room that we're sitting in right now, we have a big sign out there that says auditorium, which implies that you are the audience. I realize that. But theologically speaking, biblically speaking, you are not the audience. You're not here to be entertained. The reason we are gathering here is not so we can have a good time and just be entertained. The reason, there is an audience, but you're not it. Jesus is our audience. And we are simply worshipers in this place. Verse 42, it says, it says, as they devoted themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and all the other things. But they use this word devoted, which is a very powerful word. It implies commitment. It implies that there is, you know, there's, this was more than just a, an entertainment for them. This was a way of life for them. They had decided that they were going to be a part of this church and they were committed to this church in a time when it was very dangerous for them to be committed to this church. But they were devoted to it. They were, it wasn't, like I said, it just wasn't entertainment. It was a way of life for them. And this is why our very first value is biblical truth. Because we believe that as we engage God's word, as God's word intersects our life in relevant ways, as God's word intersects our life in relevant, it begins to inform how we should live. It begins to change our way of thinking. It should. It changes our way of thinking. It changes how we behave. It changes how we relate to one another. It should impact how you, how you relate to your wife or your husband. 
It should impact how you make decisions about your dating life if you're single. It should, make, it should impact you on how, you, you know, how you're going to live your life in public. As God's word intersects your life in relevant ways, it begins to inform how you're supposed to live. Like really, you, we should all be asking ourselves a question. When we gather together, not, as, not, as, not to be entertained, but to, in a relevant way, intersect God's word, we should be asking ourselves, God, what are you speaking to me today? What are you telling me about me and how I should live my life? Verse 37, I love what it says here about Peter. Peter is preaching at the end of his sermon. This is how they respond. It says, when the people heard this, when they heard God's word, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Like when they heard the word of God, they asked themselves, they humbly asked themselves this question. That is speaking to me. I need to do something about that. I need to change how I think. I need to change my way of doing you know, I need to change the way I'm relating to those people. I need to do something about that. So we're not critics of the experience. Instead, what we do is we become introspective and we ask the question, God, what needs to change in my life? A relevant church does that, Right? In fact, my prayer every single Sunday, every single Sunday, I'm in my office over here, and I will sit and I'll pray. These words come out, and it, it, it comes out every single Sunday, maybe to my detriment, because now it's kind of mechanical. I just pretty much pray it every single Sunday. But essentially, is this. God, don't let anybody leave today different than how they came in. Like, my, and it comes from this idea is that as you hear God's word, as it connects to you in relevant ways, you make decisions to be better for Christ. And that's the challenge for us. So the relevant church is not a movie theater. We're not the audience. God is the audience, and we are simply worshipers here. Second image I want us to think about, and I think we oftentimes have an image of this, is that the church is like a retail store. Any guesses on which retail store this one is? Yes, I figured. I had, had to pick something you guys would be familiar with, so there you go. It's Target. Now, what do we do at a, at a store? Thank you. Okay, I, they're not, not hard. They're not hard questions, I promise. Thank you. Shop, all right? We shop. We go to a store, and we look for stuff that we want, and if we don't find it in one store, we'll go to another store. Until we find what we want. We're shopping for something, right? And what's interesting, in this consumer-based culture that we live in, that kind of idea, that kind of way of thinking has kind of penetrated, infiltrated the church. So much so that I can't tell you the number of times, and if you said this, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of times I've met somebody new out in the lobby, and we shake hands and we talk, and they say to me these words. Well, yeah, we love the service. It was great. We're just church shopping right now. I get it. I understand. That's the culture we live in. where We've been highly influenced by, by this consumer mentality. I get that. But that's not what you see in the, in the New Testament church. You know, what you see is a group of people who were deeply committed to the fellowship. Deeply committed to the fellowship. Deeply devoted to one another. They weren't customers in a store. They were a family. That's really a prayer of mine for this church. Verse 44 says, all the believers were together. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. You see here something very interesting. 
There was this unity, there was this togetherness, this idea of family, of brothers and sisters. Now it says here that it had everything in common. I start thinking, wait a minute. Well, that can't be exactly true. Because if I know my God, I know that God doesn't say, okay, if you're going to give your life to Jesus right now and serve me, then you're all going to be exactly the same. You have to speak the same way, dress the same way, look the same, act the same. You're just all robots. That's not how it is, right? I'm certain that some people liked blue color and other people liked red. And some people d- detested you know, black, uh, blue and other people detested red. I'm sure there were people among them like that. I'm sure that some had different political views than others. But what made them one, what made them committed to the fellowship is who brought them together. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. So there was this, there was this difference among them, but they were, they were unified. They were together because of Jesus. The early church was known as a family. And that's been my prayer for this church, is that we would be family. This idea of family um, sounds familiar to me, actually. I, I, I love hearing the stories. It happens all the time. I hear it all the time, where somebody attends this church, and then they discover, like they're sitting in church, and they look across, and they see somebody, and like, wait, you're my neighbor. You live in the same neighborhood I live in. And then they connect in church, and then they realize, oh, they were neighbors all along, you know? And so now, now they relate to each other differently. Like they live, like before, they were neighbors and they would cordially say hi to each other, you know, hey, hi, hi, you know, that was it. But now, because they are both believers and they both attend the same church, they're like, yeah, can I borrow your car next week or something, you know? Like, that's, that's kind of what happens, you know? You just have this different relationship. That's true for me. I have a neighbor, my next door neighbor who attends Life Church, and he's a state trooper and and I've gone over and I said, hey, I've twice, I've gone over. Once I went over and I asked if I could borrow his wheelbarrow. I did. And then the second time I went over and I said, hey, I, I need to pick the railing up of my deck here and I can't do it by myself. Will you help me? And he gladly came over. And so this is what happens, right? You start meeting people and you, you, you're together with them. Yesterday I, was, I went to Walmart. To, I had some change of oil in my in my, my wife's car, and I, I went to Walmart to basically drop the oil off. And um, as I walked into the back, you know, there was a back entrance there, I w- walked in, I had these two jugs of oil, and I was, set them down. And I heard in the distance, hey, Father Rich! <laughs> and over there, there was a young guy named uh, Gabi, G- Gabriel, he's a Puerto Rican young man, and his, his buddy, uh, Roberto, were there. And they were baptized here last week. Last Sunday, we had water baptism. They were baptized here, and they were like, hey, you know, and I, I responded back to them, you know, and then we had a nice, long conversation after service there. I mean, after the, you know, after I dropped the oil off, and I had to get out of the way because my truck was in the way, and, and I realized, you know what? I have family that works at Walmart. I have some Puerto Rican brothers that work at Walmart. We're brothers. And I met Aistro there, a black young man, and, it's like, and he's like, man, I love this church, and he's coming, he's like, I've got a black brother that works at Walmart too. And that's what we are. We're family. That's what God wants of us, is to be family. When you're shopping, that's not how you think. When you're shopping, you see an item on the shelf, and if there's only one left, what do you do? 
you grab it before somebody else gets it, right? <clears throat> but that's not how the church operates. We don't first think of ourselves, we think of others first. This is how the early church was known. They were brothers, they were sisters. This is who we are. So I want to challenge you, if you've, if you've been afraid to commit, if you've been afraid to cross that line and commit, maybe you're concerned about what it's going to cost you. I get that. <clears throat> you need to understand something, that the joy in your faith is found when you commit to a family. So I challenge you to step over that line. Now be forewarned, we are an imperfect family. We don't have all our act all together here. We have a few cousin Eddies around. You know who you are. Well, you may not know who you are, but we know who you are. That's, that's what matters, is that we know who you are, right? But that's what a family is, right? A family is people who come together, and we come from various different backgrounds and, and, and histories and stories, but we come together under the banner of Jesus Christ. And we commit ourselves to each other because of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we're not customers shopping for what we want. We're brothers and sisters helping carry the load of a family. And that, my friends, is a relevant church. Number three, the third image I want us to think captures how we oftentimes look at church is a restaurant. Right? So when you go into a sit-down restaurant, what do you expect? What's, the, what's your expectation? Get served. You know, good service, Yeah. You want, you want to be waited upon, right? Go sit down. Can you imagine walking into a restaurant, you know, and then the host meets you there, and they're like, hey, you know what? We're running a little short on staff here, but, and hands you a wet washcloth and says, can you wipe a few tables down before you sit down? <laughs> I like you'd grab that washcloth, like, I, uh, okay, fine. Like me, that's what I would do. Chris would be like, no. I, I'd be like, okay, I'll do that. You know, I'll go wipe a few, I'll go sit down, you know? And then can you imagine after that, I'm sitting there waiting for the menu. They don't bring me the menu. And finally, somebody comes and says, hey, listen, we're really running short in the kitchen. Do you mind cooking your own meal? I mean, that's like a bad, bad business model for a restaurant. No, we would probably would never eat there. I think sometimes in a church, we, we walk into this room and we expect somebody to meet us at the front and host us and say, hey, have a seat. Let, let us serve you. Let us wait on you. And I get that because you're all sitting in this direction and I'm looking at you, you're looking at me and waiting for something, you're expecting something. In fact, I've heard this, I've heard this statement so many times where somebody has told me, you know, they're complimenting Life Church or complimenting us and they'll say this, these words, I just want to be, be in a place where we get fed. What they mean is fed the word of God, which I know that, you know what, I don't want, I, I don't want to do anything less than that. I, I, want, I want to preach God's word to you, yes. But here's what you need to understand. Spiritual maturity, spiritual growth happens better in the kitchen than it does at the dining table. Did you follow me on that? Spiritual maturity, spiritual growth happens better in the kitchen than at the dining table. And so if your expectation is to sit back and just wait and, and you're going to somehow mature and grow, you'll discover that you're not going to grow very much. 
Kevin, Judge Kevin's here, and I, I appreciate him because yesterday we were assembling furniture together <laughs> at houses into homes. And um, I think about, when I think about what it means to, you know, um, be a family, that's part of it right there. Amen? So some of you need to push away from the table and start getting your hands dirty, you know, get, get in the kitchen a little bit, amen? Verse 45 says this, this is the spirit of selflessness, you see. They were selling their goods and they were selling their possessions and goods and they gave to anyone as he had need. There was this selflessness that marked this early church. This past week I was, um, not past week, but the week before I was in San Diego, I went to a conference in San Diego and... Um, I had a day before the conference, I had a day of free day, so Christy and I, we, we drove up from San Diego up to Huntington Beach, where I used to be in, in pastor up there, and I met a pastor friend in Huntington Beach, but on our way, we saw a, an outlet mall, and we're sucker. Christy and I are suckers for outlet malls. We saw this outlet mall, premium outlet mall, so we stopped at this outlet mall, you know, we're kind of wandering around shopping, and um, it was in this shoe store. And I, I, I'm like looking at shoes. I'm really, my wife was there shopping for shoes. I wasn't so much, but I was just looking around. And I kept noticing this lady that kept making eye contact with me. Like, I look up, and there she was looking at me. And I'd look, I'd look high, and I'd kind of look off, you know, kind of a little, like, weird look. And, uh, and it just happened multiple times. And finally, I just kind of turned my back, started looking the other direction. You know, I'm kind of wandering around. And I got to a place where I turned around and she's standing right in front of me. She's holding a pair of shoes. She goes, do you have these in seven and a half? And then I realized that she, I looked at, I had a black t-shirt on. I realized everybody else that works there also had a black t-shirt on. And so I was being confused as one of the workers there, you know, like I'm, I must work at this place. And I laughed. I said, I don't work here. You oh, you, I thought you worked here. So I'm like, nah, do I look like, well, yeah, I do look like I work here because I have this black t-shirt on. So like, if just a warning, don't ever go with a red polo shirt to Target because they'll confuse you. They'll automatically say, you work here, right? But I thought about that and I thought, I'd love to see that kind of confusion here at Life Church, where people walk in through the doors and, and they're not sure who actually works here or who doesn't. They just see a whole mess of servants. They see a whole bunch of people just serving one another. And they might get some confusion going, hey, can, can, and you, that person might say, well, I don't really know that, but let me tell you about, you know, that's, that's what I long to see. We're not customers, listen. We are servants. I love how this passage ends in verse 47. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church, the church was a place where outsiders were constantly becoming insiders. Now, I, look, I don't mind... It happens, especially, you know, when you become a church our size, it happens probably more frequently, but where people might come from another church and they, they join here for whatever reasons, leave that one and become a part of ours. And I get that. <clears throat> and uh, I, I don't encourage that. I don't think that's a, that's not, for me, that's not my growth model. What I'd love to see and what I've longed for from the very beginning of Life Church is that those outside these four walls, those who are lost and disconnected from God, those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those who are going through some of the same struggles that you and I go through, but they have nowhere to go to. They don't know to call on Christ. They don't know to go to a, a church family for support and encouragement. 
They're just kind of struggling in their sin, struggling in their brokenness, struggling in their hurt. I love for them who are on the outside to become insiders. That's always been the case. In my, um, in my office, I have a whiteboard in my office that, um, that I occasionally write on, and uh, I'll put different things on there from time to time. It all gets erased, but there's one thing that does not ever get erased. It's on the top left-hand corner of my whiteboard, and it goes like this. Belong, believe, become. When I think of outsiders becoming insiders, this is what I think of. Belong, believe, become. I grew up, I can't speak for you, maybe some of you did this well, but I grew up where it was believe first, become something, like change your bad habits, get your act together, fix yourself, and then if that happens, then you can belong. Then you can actually be a part of this. That's how I grew up. And so, you know, we became very legalistic. If you don't look this way, if you don't act this way, if you don't, you know, whatever, then you don't, you don't belong, and therefore you, don't, you should not be here. And I felt like the Lord really put this on my heart, especially when you see the ministry of Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus would walk past the synagogue straight to the tax collector's house, sit down at the tax collector's house, and have lunch. And talk about life and talk about God and talk about the kingdom of God. And they were mesmerized because they'd never seen that before. They'd never seen a rabbi come to a sinner's house and eat. That was like beyond them. It's not something they'd ever seen. And so they immediately were feeling belonging to Christ. And then this be, kind of created some kind of motion for them. Like, okay, is you would see this. Just read the gospels. You'll see this where they say, could he be the, the question, could he be the Messiah? Could, could, is it possible that that one that just ate lunch, could that person be the Messiah? They started believing. And as their belief became reality, they realized he is the Messiah. Their life began to be transformed and they become who God had always intended them to become. And this is really the process that we have, that we have preached about, we've talked about since the very beginning of Life Church. This is the church that we want to be, where outsiders are becoming insiders. Church is not a movie theater. You're not here to be entertained. You're not the audience. <clears throat> church is not a store that we shop at, or we're trying to get what we want for ourselves. Church is not a restaurant, where we sit around waiting to be served. In fact, the church is not a place at all. The church... Is a family. I know, because I talked to them this morning, I know that I can go to Walmart to get my oil changed. I won't because I'd change my oil, but I could. And I'm going to meet up with Roberto today, who's on duty. And he'll have you know, good conversation, but I'll be able to say, hey man, how you doing at home? He's a younger brother to me now, and I'm an older brother, and so I have responsibility for my younger brother. This is what family is. This is what God is calling us to become. Amen? So let's all stand, and um, here's what I, I, I want to kind of end with this, because <clears throat> the idea of family, I mean, 
the, the metaphor for family in our, in our head has this idea of, you know, either natural birth or being adopted in as a family member. And, um, but there might be some of you here right now that, well, you know, you're just here for the first time and you've not been adopted in. You don't even know anybody here. And um, you might be wondering, what's the process of becoming, like you've come here and you see what you see and you're like, man, I like this. How do I become a part of this family? It's very simple. You don't have to measure up. We're not calling you to, you know, dress a certain way or talk a certain way or look a certain way or, you know, clean up something first and all that. The way to become a part of this family is where you simply say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I invite you into my life. I'm a sinner. Man, I screw up so, so much. I make so many mistakes. I do so many bad things all the time. I need you to help me, Jesus. I need you to step into my life and do something different with this person that I am. And you surrender that to him. And guess what? When you do that, when you do that, instantly, instantly, you are a member of this family. You belong here. And so I don't know if there's some of you in this room that you've never done that before. And I think today is a good day to start. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, Jesus, for who you are and for what you're doing in this place. Thank you, Father, that you have saved us. You've set us free. You've given us purpose and direction and destiny. And none of us in this room are deserving of any of it. None of us are. You have freely given it. Lord, we have friends in this room, maybe, that... They're on the outside. They're kind of looking through the window at this family and maybe longing to be a part of the family. Father, I ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, just convince them of their need for you. Convince them, Lord, that today they can be a part of this family by simply surrendering their hearts over to you, Jesus. And so today, Father, that's exactly what we do collectively. Jesus, we surrender our lives to you. We invite you in and we ask you to be our Lord and our Savior, our Master, our Teacher, our Guide, our Healer, our Deliverer. We ask you to step into our lives and do something new and fresh in our lives. In Jesus' name.